If you ache for truth, goodness, and beauty, if you're hungry for a Christianity with substance and strength, if you long for a faith that's big and bold and biblical and all about Jesus Christ, if you're inspired by the idea of one church that has spanned 20 centuries, 24 time zones, and two hemispheres, enfolding every race, nation, and language, then you're considering Catholicism. So welcome back to a conversation that Corey and I have been having sitting out here in the piney woods on the shore of a great lake at the secret compound on an evening as the sun sets to the west over the lake. And if that gives any of you like a clue. <laughs> now like we have you, to move. You've given away our location. That's right. Greg. Like if you want to <laughs> get on Google Earth and do some figuring out about where we might be. It's I actually will, pretty easy to figure the, out where the, we are. The, the hint is <laughs> that as the sun sets, it's setting over this great lake from our perspective. So in any case, we've been out here this evening and we just finished an interesting conversation, which was the last episode. At least I think it was interesting about knowledge and belief and faith and sort of what faith is. This is part of sort of a, a little bit of a series we've been doing. Corey and I talked for several episodes about faith and science and the history of Catholicism and scientific knowledge. And then Ed and I did several episodes about the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, and the authority of Scripture. And so we just kind of thought it'd be interesting to kind of keep this going and talk about faith and what we believe and what we're required to believe and what we know and what we know by faith and so forth. Mm -hmm. So in the last episode, we were talking about kind of three things, knowledge and belief and faith and what those differences are. So you can go back and listen to that episode. Yeah. But we're going to keep this going and drill down a little bit on faith and the things that we believe by faith and in a sense the things that we are required to believe by faith. Mm -hmm. And Catholicism is a faith. It is the Catholic faith. It has a substance to it. Catholicism is not just showing up to Mass and it's not just going through the motions. Mm -hmm. It is actually believing and having and holding right. the Catholic faith. Right. There is intellectual in assent involved. There's intellectual assent. And then as we look in Hebrews 11, right, that intellectual assent, that certainty and assurance translates into action. Mm -hmm. And that's the whole point of Hebrews 11 is by faith, people act. Right. And so what we want to talk about here in this conversation is what the Catholic faith asks us to believe. Because I think there's a lot of people listening who go, all right, I'm sort of attracted to some aspects of Catholicism. I find some of this super interesting. I'm considering it. But I want to know what I have to believe, and particularly with Catholicism. Like, I'm assuming that most of the people who listen to this, if, if they already are maybe a Christian, a Protestant, or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, they believe in God, and they believe in Jesus. But what are the peculiarities of Catholicism? And they wonder, do I have to believe in every miracle, any, every Marian apparition, every dogma that's, or doctrine that's handed down by a pope? And I know that a lot of my Protestant friends, and when I was a Protestant, one of my concerns was if I become Catholic, is the Pope just going to make up crazy stuff and I'm required to believe it? Right. Is it shifting sands under my feet? It might might change tomorrow. Well, or that, or is it just crazy stuff? Like, the, can the Pope just make stuff up? Mm -hmm. And so anyway, we want to get into that. What is the substance of the Catholic faith and what 
are we asked to believe? What are we required to believe? What is doctrine and dogma? And how is all that defined? Right? Yes. Now, Corey is going to do some of the heavy lifting here because he's bright and scholarly and has looked up all this stuff. Because Catholicism, you know, as Chesterton said, no one else has spent 2,000 years thinking about thinking. And it really has a very well-developed system sort of epistemology or of knowledge mm -hmm. that there are certain sort of categories of belief. There are things that you are required to believe, things that you're recommended to believe, things that, right? Yep. So Corey is going to break all that down a little bit. So Corey, if that's who you really are, so we said <laughs> in the last episode, for all I know, you could be a, an imposter in witness protection. Go back and listen to the last episode and we'll explain that. But Corey, if that's your real name, why don't you go ahead and run with this? Okay, I will. Um, so the easiest way to do this, I think, is going to be to walk through the different categories first so that we have language and definitions to use to talk about this. And then we can talk about particulars because I know and any given listener might have a question about a particular type of teaching or document or whatnot put out by the church. And so the the way I'm going to approach this is that if you were going to be invested with the authority to teach the Catholic faith, if you were going to be a bishop or a seminary rector or something like that, you would be required to take an oath, a profession or an affirmation of faith that you're going to be faithful to the teachings of the church. And so that oath, an, an official oath that is given in those circumstances, contains the categories of teachings that are official and that are the different ways that we understand this. And so I'll, I'll quote a section and then talk about it a little bit just to elucidate it. If you want to chip in, Greg, you chip in at any time. And then once we've been through the categories, we can talk about particulars. Uh, so to begin with, that person would, would affirm the creed. Uh, so the, the Apostles' Creed, which walks through the, the basics of the faith, and then sort of joined to that, um, they would vow with firm faith, I also believe everything contained in the word of God, whether written or handed down in tradition, which the church, either by a solemn judgment or by ordinary and universal magisterium, sets forth to be believed as divinely revealed. So there's a lot of terms in there. This is the category of dogma. And so this is something that the church has recognized to be divinely revealed. God has said it to be true. And so that can come from a variety of sources that can be directly from scripture. That can be something that the Pope has dogmatically defined. Um, that can be something that an ecumenical council has dogmatically defined or something. The phrase ordinary and universal magisterium essentially means this is what the church always and everywhere has believed together. Um, okay. Okay. Just want to yeah. Go ahead. Point of clarification. Yep. Okay. You explained it well, but you went kind of quick there, and I want to mm -hmm. just slow down a little bit. Yep. For anybody who's listening, dogma. Because yep. I know you're going to introduce a distinction here between dogma and doctrines, mm -hmm. right? Yep. And so, just to clarify that, dogma is something that we are required to believe. We're you required. can you cannot say that you hold the Catholic faith mm -hmm. unless you hold this by faith unless you believe this. Right. So this is the category of dogma. It is part of the definition of being a Catholic to hold this belief because the church has defined it to be divinely revealed, that God has told us that this is true. And again, just to be clear, I know you're making mm -hmm. this clear, but I want to make it uber clear. Yep. Okay? Clarity is a good thing. 
So we're going to get into, as we move down this hierarchy of knowledge, right, things that you're recommended to believe in. Mm-hmm. You're going to get to that, yep, right? we'll get there. Uh, you know, the belief that the Shroud of Turin is real, you can believe it or not believe it, or that, you know, the Virgin Mary appeared at we'll get there. Lord's. We'll get there. Yep. But, but I just want to say for those who are listening, not everything in the Catholic faith is required, but there are things that you cannot say. And I say this not only to non-Catholics considering Catholicism, but I say to those of you who are Catholics, mm-hmm. who, you know, you know who you are, who are maybe a little loosey-goosey. And I think one of the things that we struggle with today is a lot of syncretism in the postmodern church. And just individualism. And individualism, yeah. syncretism, where we, we sort of say, hey, you know, I've got what I really believe is some kind of weirdo combination of Catholicism and Buddhism and UFOlogy and, you know, and stuff that I got off Star Trek and, you know, Star Wars or whatever. And it's all sort of, you know, kind of become this goulash in my mind. Mm-hmm. And that's, you can't do that at least with respect to these things that are dogmatic. You have to hold these, or you are not holding the Catholic faith. And in some sense, Corey, is your salvation in danger? Well, you're in error, and that is a problem. That can Error in belief can lead to error in action. And so simply being mistaken about something doesn't necessarily mean that you have lost your salvation, but it is, it is risky business. And you, if you are corrected and you do not heed the correction, then that's the category of heresy that we yeah, talked about yeah, a few go, episodes yeah, back. Yeah, a few yeah, episodes where we talked about heresy. But you know, going back to our last episode about mm-hmm. knowledge and belief and all these kinds of things, it's one thing to say, well, I was mistaken. Mm-hmm. Like just because maybe my Sunday school teachers didn't make it somebody clear. Somebody taught you, or, you something know, Somebody taught me something incorrectly or I, you know, was not paying attention in class, you know, in confirmation class. And I just, you know, I, I'm an, I, I can be mistaken. Mm-hmm. But if you deliberately choose to believe something contrary to dogma, right, right, because you don't want to believe it, then you need to go to confession. And you need to change your You belief. need to change, right? Yeah. But it is a sin. It's yeah. a mortal sin. Mm-hmm. You know, okay, right? I mean, yeah. in, in, in Catholicism, you go, if I have chosen to deliberately believe something contrary to the dogma of the church, I am in mortal sin, if that's a deliberate choice, not just yep. an error, you right. know, mistaken. That's, that's the vital distinction. Then I need to go to confession and confess my error. And if you are a Catholic and you're listening and you have chosen to willfully contradict the dogma of the church or believe something contrary to the dogma, you are in mortal sin and you are an error and you need to seek confession. And, and, and of course, that implies that you amend your ways. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I say all that because I want to emphasize, as Corey is, the seriousness of, of these dogmas, of these dogmatic teachings. Right. Okay, go ahead. Okay. So that's sort of at the high end, the very high end. And then in this oath, we get to the next part in which you would vow. I also firmly accept and hold each and everything definitely proposed by the church regarding teaching on faith and morals. And so to, to parse that a little bit, so th- this is also infallible teaching. This, this is held by the church to be true without error, but it's not something that we know that God has directly revealed to us. This isn't like the level of dogma of, you know, God has revealed that Christ is God, okay, fully so God and fully man. Give us, give us two practical examples. Mm-hmm. Give us a practical example of a dogma 
and contrast that with a practical example of a doctrine that you're talking about. Okay. So like what I was just saying, it's dogma that Christ is fully God and fully man. That um, Jesus died and rose. Jesus died on a cross and he rose was bodily again. resurrected. That, yeah. that God is Trinity three in one. Those so, those are examples of dogs. Basically, the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed. The Nicene Creed, Creed and, and some other things. We can talk more about yeah, yeah. specific examples. I believe um, in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and right. earth, and Jesus Christ, his only son. Right? You know, and, so. and there are things that have been defined by councils and popes to be, God has revealed this. Okay. Um, and then there are things. Is the canon of scripture dogmatic? That would fit in this category. So yes. that that is something that is... So I am not is, free to disbelieve in right. the canon of Scripture. You, you are not free to disbelieve in it. It is infallibly defined, but it's not at the level of dogma. So it's at yeah. this this second level. So these are things that are essentially derived or deduced by the church authoritatively from dogma. So given dogma, mm-hmm. then the implications of dogma right. are doctrine. And so a lot of moral teaching would fall in this category. Um, Give us an example. The, the sort of the classic example from the last couple of generations is contraception. Pope Paul VI, St. Paul VI, teaching on the immorality of artificial contraception. It was based on tradition. It was based on the natural law and the law of the church on scripture. And so it was in that sense deduced. It's not as if God directly told us at the level of dogma, contraception is wrong, but the church has defined this in a way that is not disputable for the Catholic. Okay. Since we're sitting out here in the forest Mm -hmm. and the sun is setting and there's nobody, you know, within a long way around us other than Sasquatch, and mm-hmm. I have an adult beverage and in vino veritas, I'm going to say yes. to you then, yes. is it licit for a Catholic to be pro-abortion? No. That would be an example of this category, that it's, a, it's an infallible moral teaching of the church based on divine revelation. So think divine revelation, thou shalt not kill. There, there are specific things in the Bible and in apostolic tradition that prohibit moral actions like abortion, and then the church has reasoned from those things okay. to have that prohibition. Let's do lightning round here. Okay? <laughs> okay. So if I, if I say, all right, let's talk about contemporary Catholics, whether mm-hmm. they are individuals or people in positions of influence like politicians, uh, someone who says, I'm a faithful Catholic, but I just believe in abortion. Illicit, illicit. Illicit. I am a faithful Catholic, but I believe in same-sex marriage. Illicit. I am a Catholic, but I don't believe in the real presence in the Eucharist. I think that it's just a symbol. That would be illicit, okay. not, not valid. Yeah. That would violate this category of infallible teaching. That one arguably could be called dogma. I'm, I'm not 100% sure about that one okay. but because it's scriptural. But So dogma... You're in mortal sin if you deliberately disbelieve in it. Mm-hmm. And doctrine are those things that follow from dogma right. and therefore carry a sort of weight. So if I, for example, if I believe something willfully against dogma, but I am an error, I'm not, it's not licit if I act on that, right? So I'm not a confessor, so I'm certainly open to the correction of priests and moral yeah, theologians. Yeah, I'm curious about that. Um, but what, what I understand from these categories is that both dogma and doctrine here are infallible teachings. Yeah, and what so, I would say to our listener, neither obviously, Corey, I mean, I've been a, I was a Protestant pastor, but I've obviously mm-hmm. never been a Catholic confessor. But I would just say as a, a brotherly suggestion, 
that if I found myself really doubting the doctrines of the church and I found myself tempted or finding myself falling into believing in things that are not licit, I certainly would go to confession. Well, if I was, if I was tempted to, or I was doubting, probably what I would first do is I would talk to my priest or talk to a, a faithful Catholic who I feel could, you know, talk me through this. Because if you're at the level of doubts and temptations, then you may not have committed the sin. If you figure out that you have, then I would go to confession. But if, if you're in the position where you have definitely decided that you oppose the teachings of the church in yeah, these infallible court Not just that you've acted on it. So not, in other right. words, not just that you've had an abortion or you've practiced contraception, but that you basically have decided that you disagree with right. the church. I would recommend going to confession and hearing what your confessor has to say. Well, the thing about it too is that in order for him to validly absolve you, you would have to actually be contrite. So you would have to be confessing as Correct. a sin, not going into confession to say, ha ha, well, yeah, obviously. I believe. But I would, I would be concerned yeah. about myself and I right. would go in there and, and, and say, hey, look, I'm, I'm really yeah. struggling. So if you're, if you're concerned about it, then that means that either you're, the Holy Spirit is working in your heart and leading you away from sin, or you're, you're contrite for some, yep. some sin that you have committed. And so if you're, if you're worried about it and you're feeling bad about it, that's a good sign. Get thee to a confessional and, and you can and listen, fix it. <laughs> and listen to what your confessor says. Right, exactly. So to sum up, those, those two top tier categories are both infallible. The church teaches them as without error. The first is dogma. That's stuff God has told us, so we know it's true. The second level, we can use the word doctrine for that. It's teachings of the church that have been derived from dogma that are still considered infallible. No, I keep interrupting your narrative No, here. go ahead. But I know there's going to be people out there who are going to say, how am I supposed to understand Catholics who are in positions of influence or in positions of ecclesial office mm -hmm. who run around whether they're a, ca a professor at a Catholic university or they're a priest right. or even a bishop who makes public statements and teaches things that seem contrary to the doctrines of the church, aren't they, are they licit or illicit? Because like, I'm just, let's, let's put our cards on the table. Mm -hmm. You can go on the, on Google and in five seconds find priests, professors, even some bishops who say things that sound like they're pro-abortion, pro-gay marriage, you know, all the things that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. And so it is causing a lot of confusion and concern, not only among the faithful, but among those who are considering joining the Catholic Church and going, well, wait a minute, you guys can't even, your own house isn't even in order. So what, what's real and what's not real? What say you? Yeah. I mean, you bring up a real problem and to one degree or another, it's always been a problem because human beings are sinful and they, they have errors or they mess up or they do bad things. And so, yes, you're going to find people in positions of authority in the church who are going to be speaking against the truths of the faith, whether they're dogmatic truths or doctrinal truths, infallible truths of the faith. And that does not change the truth. Just because someone is speaking in error doesn't mean either that the truth is uncertain or that what the church was teaching as true has changed or was false the whole time. And that doesn't change the fact that it's a grave scandal. Like you say, it, it fills people's minds with doubts. It, it scares them off of the church. It, it causes all kinds of problems. And I, so I'm not excusing it in that sense, but no, it also doesn't change no. the, a person in authority 
spouting off against the truths of the faith doesn't change the truths of the faith. And I would say to any listener out there who's concerned about that, and I'm not going to name names, but you can go on Google and find some prominent Catholic um, professors, priests, and bishops who seem to be saying things that are not licit. And like, look, uh, I'm just going to say this. You don't know how this story ends. I can go back to Scripture, and I can see examples not only in the New Testament but the Old Testament of unfaithful priests, and that over time God dealt with them. You know, and I'm not, you know, saying that something right. It's not, not, it's not up to me. I'm not right. Mm-hmm. But you know, you don't know how this is going to turn out. I think you know the one that comes to my mind is the uh, sons of Samuel. Yeah. Right in the Old Testament, the priest Samuel, the one who anointed David. Yeah, your sons do not follow in your ways. Yeah, and his his sons were corrupt, and they were taking the tithes and offerings, and they were doing all kinds of other sort of corrupt things, and it was a scandal for a long time, and in the end, it, God dealt with it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for those of you who feel like you turn on the internet and you scroll through the news and you go... Father so-and-so or Bishop so-and-so or Professor so-and-so is saying these crazy things and it really distresses me what's happened to the church. Aren't we supposed to be faithful to the truth and to the dogmas and the doctrines? Yep. Yeah. And, but, and, and, but be patient because you don't know how this turns out. And the wheel of history grinds slowly. And I think you bringing up this issue both helps to clarify something about these first two categories and also is a good segue to the next thing we're going to talk about, the next set of things we'll talk about. In terms of clarifying what we've already talked about, this speaks to the source of dogmas or of infallible doctrines. Dogmas, as we said, are something that's divinely revealed. Doctrines are derived from those divinely revealed things. And so the obvious question there is who decided that this was divinely revealed or that it follows reasonably from divine revelation. And what it says in this oath and what is true is that it's, it's the church big C in the sense of this is something that's been defined by the universal creeds of the church or by an ecumenical council or by the Pope teaching with his full authority, not just any old thing he says, which we'll get to. Because, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because right. that gets so, to our, one of our other categories. But so this perf- isn't just Father Father Jim who well, said something. Uh, this once. is okay. So or even so just, Bishop Jim. Just because Professor Peabody at Georgetown University published a scandalous article, or just mm-hmm. because Father Martinez runs around saying things that seem to contradict the doctrines of the church, or just because Bishop Butterpants published an article. These names are getting weirder and weirder. Yeah. <laughs> well, as the, as the sun sets and, and I enjoy my hot toddy here, I'm, <clears throat> I'm getting a little more creative. But uh, look, but I would introduce another D. You talked about doctrine and dogma and doctrine, and there's another D that's at play here, and that's discipline. Mm-hmm. And the, the discipline of God and the discipline of the church sometimes grinds slowly. If you look at church history, Look at the Arian heresy of the fourth century. It took a hundred years, 150 years for that to be work itself out. Mm -hmm. History grinds slowly and and the Catholic church is 2000 years old and things are not always going to be resolved in five years or 10 years or a hundred years. Okay. Yeah. So I've interrupted you enough. Dogma, doctrine, 
Go. Okay. And so the third part of this oath, I'm glad you brought up the word discipline because I think that's, that's a good word to have in mind when we get to this third part. So it says, Moreover, I adhere with religious submission of will and intellect to the teachings which either the Roman pontiff, so that's a pope, or the college of bishops enunciate when they exercise their authentic magisterium, so that's them teaching officially, even if they do not intend to proclaim these teachings by a definite act. So this is something that a legitimate authority in the church, so the pope or the college of bishops, is asserting not definitively. So this could be a, a disciplinary measure, or as, as you mentioned that word. So this is, we think that this position over here seems shady, don't entertain that. Or it could be, this is a, this is a theological idea that is not divine revelation or hasn't been defined by the church, but this is my opinion as your bishop or as your pope, and I teach this, um, and it's not contrary to, the, to dogma or doctrine, and I'm teaching this. And so the phrase used here is religious submission of will and intellect. So this is, this is a matter of authority. This is I'm submitting myself to the authority if they're teaching something that, that's reasonably under the umbrella of Catholic teaching but isn't asserted to be definite. And see, this is where I think the rubber meets the road mm-hmm. and the difference with Protestantism. Because in a sort of Protestant sort of theological worldview, I am the ultimate Arbiter. Arbiter. Yeah. I had somebody write, a couple of people write emails and say that um, they don't like my pronunciations of words. <laughs> and and my what I fall back on is that I grew up in the uh, surfer birch beach communities of Southern California. And so my Southern California drawl, which has been conditioned by moving and traveling all around the world, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Whatever. Arbiter, arbitrator, tomato, arbit- tomato. Yeah, tomato, tomato, whatever. Right. So, so like, uh, I'm the ultimate judge, right? Because the notion that I can read scripture and decide mm-hmm. for myself, right? So, so the priesthood of all believers, the perspicuity of scripture, all these things that Protestantism and Calvinism teaches says, I can look at scripture and come to my own decisions and I don't have to submit to authority. And, you know, you're the Chesterton walking encyclopedia, this quote machine on this, but doesn't Chesterton have a quote about uh, the, the thing about Catholicism is acknowledging that there's people who are smarter than you are. Sure, sure. Right? I mean, at the end of the day, right, like I want to believe that I can read my Bible, I can flip it open, I can decide what's right and what's wrong, right? But there's no controlling authority in Protestantism. I was talking to somebody about that the other day. If you look at classical Protestantism, you and I were talking about this. Yeah, yeah. If you look at classical, like, confessional Protestantism, like in the first hundred years after the Reformation, you had these synods like um, the Westminster Confession or the Augsburg Confession or the Heidelberg Confession. But that kind of thing hasn't happened in 500 years. There is no legitimate confessional authority because any denomination in the United States or Europe right now, and I mean, just go on the news or if you're a part of one, as soon as you come to serious disagreement, the denomination just divides. Nobody has authority in the, you, you and I have talked about this a lot, mm-hmm. that people will write in and say, what is the Protestant position on X? And you go, there is no such thing Which as one? Yeah. a Protestant position because nobody has authority. And I think this is really, really super important about if you're considering Catholicism, it is the humility and the willingness to, what's the phrase? Submit. Religious submission of will and intellect. Religious submission of will and intellect. And, you know, as somebody who spent 
you know, my life as an evangelical Protestant or Calvinist Protestant to say, I am going to acknowledge that there are authorities that I have to religiously submit to, my will and intellect to, even if I don't completely understand or maybe don't even completely agree I acknowledge that there's legitimate authority. Right. And this and in this category, this isn't something that is being asserted to be definitive or divinely divinely revealed. So this will this category would often touch on disputed. Okay, uh, so let me categories. throw let me throw one out. Yeah. That I ahead. think is disputed in the Catholic Church mm-hmm. and about which there are disputes. And it's something that I had to wrestle with. Okay. And that's um, the Catholic position on the death penalty. I was gonna bring that one up. Okay, yeah. so here's the deal about the death penalty, right? Um, there are still some Catholics who argue because in Catholic tradition there is or just war theory. Yeah. Which okay? are related. Which are related, in which uh you can go back to the great Catholic thinkers and doctors of the church and Thomas Aquinas who will defend these things, and then people who say, Well, yeah, but the Catholic and I think one of the things for me about when I entered the Catholic Church, I had several people in my life, right, who said, Well, wait a minute, doesn't Catholicism require you to, you know, kind of let go of the death penalty? And I said, well, I don't know for sure if it does, but it seems to. And the the last few popes have certainly seemed to say that. And I said, you know, it seems to me part of the religious submission of my will and intellect to say, you know, I got to let this one go. Mm -hmm. When I am inclined to say, I think maybe the death penalty or just war in certain instances are legitimate. I think at a certain point I, I had to say, you know what? To become Catholic is to be humble enough to say, I maybe, not only do I not have all the answers, but sometimes maybe the answers that I think I have, I have to be willing to submit to a higher authority. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that there can't still be debate and dispute about these kinds of things. Oh, it, does, think- it just means that I'm not allowed to, you know, blow up the conversation and, and leave the table, yeah. flip the table over this. And these issues are not dogma. Mm-hmm. So, so I think this is where... It, Protestants get confused. So the Catholic position on the death penalty or whatever is not dogmatic. Mm-hmm. That's not part of that level of dogma right. that the is church required has not, to believe. The church has not asserted it infallibly. The church is reasoning with scripture and with the deposit of the faith, but it has not made a definition if, on this. If you think about this like a series of dominoes or implications, mm-hmm. like you can say, okay, here's the first thing that pushes the, the first domino, right? And that's those, those are those dogmatic truths, right? Mm-hmm. Jesus was the son of God, the second person of the Trinity, died on a cross, rose on the third day. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing. Then there is a series of dominoes that if that is true, if then, if then, if then. Mm -hmm. And when you get to things like the death penalty or whatever, Mm -hmm. you're three or two or three or four or five or however many degrees removed from that. So in a sense, I'm called to submit maybe to my my bishop Mm -hmm. and not contradict the bishop of the diocese of which I am a member. But I'm not required to believe it in the same way that I believe that Jesus rose on Easter Sunday. Right. And the the phrase here is adherence with submission of will. And so that's not the same as assent. Right. Right. I may may humbly disagree, but I also humbly obey. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think this is really the hard thing, I think, for a lot of people about coming into Catholicism. And frankly, it's hard for a lot of Catholics who are maybe not maybe living their Catholic faith, who, who, who say, I just simply refuse to submit my 
my positions. And if you look at things like contraception, I saw a statistic today on the internet that 89% of practicing Catholics in the American church disagree with the church's position on contraception. I knew it was high. I didn't realize it was that high. You know, I don't know, statistics or stats or stats or stats, right? But it's, it's, right, it's something crazy like that. And so, again, that's not the same as believing Jesus rose on Easter Sunday morning, but it is an act of submission to the authority of the church. Well, and and just to be clear, because we talked about that issue at the level of doctrine, so that uh, contraception is not in this third category where there's legitimate dispute, but you should submit. Correct. But I, that's, but in the cat, right. that's in the previous okay, category. Okay, so going but, down those domino yeah. chain, but there are things where I go, you know, even if I'm struggling with mm-hmm. it, there is a component of Catholicism that is basically understanding that I, there's apostolic authority of the church, and I, and what was the phrase? Religious, Religious submission, submission of, will. of will and intellect. Yeah. Okay, I've interrupted you enough. Keep yeah. going. Nope, that, that's good because we're actually done with the oath. If you're going to become a bishop or a seminary rector or something like that, your oath is done. Those are the things that you've promised. But there's another category of stuff people in the church say. Okay, we'll get to that. Yeah. Uh, but I've interrupted you so many times, so why don't you just we read, read— sum up. I want you to read that oath okay. just— We'll without go straight me, through. Without me interrupting you. Okay. So from the top, with firm faith, I also believe everything contained in the word of God, whether written or handed down in tradition, which the church, either by a solemn judgment or by the ordinary and universal magisterium, sets forth to be believed as divinely revealed. So that's dogma. It's divinely revealed. We know that. The church has defined that. I also firmly accept and hold each and everything definitely proposed by the church regarding teaching on faith and morals. So that's infallible doctrine. It's arrived at by reflection on dogmas, and it is asserted to be infallible by the church. Moreover, I adhere with religious submission of will and intellect to the teachings which either the Roman pontiff or the College of Bishops enunciate when they exercise their authentic magisterium, even if they do not intend to proclaim these teachings by a definite act. And so those are teachings sometimes on issues that are, at, are under dispute, but I submit to the competent authority. Okay. Now. Take us into the next Roman numeral. Yeah. So this actually, even though all of those categories are much more important, this is probably where the rubber hits the road for a lot of people, especially in our media-saturated world. This is stuff my priest said or stuff that the bishop (laughs) said or stuff that the pope said on an airplane or that article that I read. This is opinion. Uh, this is th- opinion on theology or morals or ethics or prudential judgments on how to live out the teachings of the church. Before you get there, isn't yeah. there something between those? And that is things that are worthy of belief, right? So what I'm thinking of mm-hmm. is things like uh, that we get a lot of questions about. Mm-hmm. So if I become Catholic, do I have to believe that the Virgin of Mary okay. appeared at yeah, Fatima? Yeah, yeah. So or this, do I have to believe that she appeared to Juan Diego? 
right? I mean, those are there are certain kinds of things that are recommended for belief, but not required. Okay, right? yeah. Thank thank you for introducing that because that is that does precede what I was going to talk about. And so this isn't in the oath either. This isn't something that anybody would be required by the church to believe. But this is something that the competent authorities in the church have looked at and have said there's nothing contrary to dogma or doctrine here. This seems legit. It seems like there's nothing problematic or dangerous here. Uh, you're not required to believe it, but we do, neither do we forbid you from believing it. So that that would be things like apparitions or miracles um, or okay, certain so, pious yeah. opinions. So let's give a couple practical yeah. examples. Mm-hmm. Saints. Yeah. Okay. So when you like you have a you have a daughter named mm-hmm. Lucy, named mm-hmm. after Saint Lucy, right? Yep. And so Saint Lucy is a little bit of a a little bit of a mysterious figure in the early church, right? Mm-hmm. In the sense that, you know, there's there's attribution to her, but we don't know that much about her from a historical mm-hmm. record. And yet the church says, well, um, there was Saint Lucy and we are recommended to believe in the stories about Saint Lucy. So there's actually two categories at play here because a canonization is an infallible declaration. So if the church tells me that this person is a saint, that I do need to submit to and believe. But that, do I need to believe all the stories? But about all them? of the stories, not necessarily. That okay. that's where we come to the the prudential judgments of the the church authorities or of historians or or what have you. And so, yeah, is Saint Lucy a saint? Yes, she is. The and church, that's infallible. The church asserts that infallibly. But all of the stories is, attributed are to, all of the details about her martyrdom yeah. or about there, there are there are legends that I love about uh, apparitions oh, yeah. of Saint Lucy. Oh yeah. Um, does the church require me to believe those? No. Okay. It, it doesn't require me okay. to believe. Okay. Secondly, those. Uh, Marian apparitions, because mm-hmm. this is a huge deal for for Protestants who want to convert to Catholicism. Do I really need to believe that the Virgin Mary appeared at such and such a time in such and such a place? Mm-hmm. And I think I thought one time, I know I taught a lane class about this, but I don't, uh, Lakeshore Academy of the New Evangelization that Corey and I both work at, but, uh, I don't, I think we did a podcast episode about this way back whenever. Yeah, we have talked about it before. But, but there's this whole thing about Marian apparitions and that all of them are sort of recommended for belief, but not required for belief, right? And, And this gets into a, another way of articulating this that's sort of parallel to the, the structure we've been talking about. And that's if something is part of public revelation or private revelation. Yes. And so public revelation would fit into that dogma category. So this is the sacred scriptures and the sacred tradition. This is something that's dogmatic and required to be believed. That's public revelation. That's for everybody. Private revelation is something that is not required for belief that God may have legitimately revealed it to you, like the Virgin Mary may have appeared to you. Um, and there are cases in which the church has ruled that it's very likely that she did. Um, there are the famous ones like Fatima or Lourdes. But- and by the way, for those of you who haven't listened to that previous episode or taken that class, uh, I think we went through and there's, there's only like 11 there aren't many. No, yeah. yeah. Like people think that the Catholic Church is full of all these things. There's only like 10 or 11 Marian apparitions in 2,000 years that the church says this is worthy mm-hmm. or highly recommended for belief. And that's because the the church authorities have investigated. They've gone through the evidence. They've said, we think this looks legit. You are welcome to believe that this is legit, but we cannot and will not require you to assent to this because it's not part of public revelation. It's It's not dogmatic. It's not dogmatic. It's not doctrinal and it's not required for salvation. Right. Okay. Keep going. Yeah. So, so there's that category that would fall under the ones that are officially enunciated. 
in that in that oath. And then we get to the one that I was going into about opinion, the thing your priest said, the thing your bishop said. Professor Peabody or mm -hmm. Father Martinez or Bishop McButterpants. The Pope talking when he's exhausted after three days in outer Mongolia or whatever. The Pope's on an airplane and he starts going on about plastic. Okay, I'm going to put it on the table because there's a (laughs) lot of people. I think that most of our listeners, if they are considering Catholicism or not Catholics, we, our audience skews to people who are more theologically conservative. But not I, necessarily politically conservative. Yeah. Not necessarily, but I'm just saying theologically. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. the, the, And I don't think that we necessarily have a lot of people who are like radical pro- progressives who disagree with the teachings of the church that are like, you know, listening to this podcast. So what I'm going to say is that I think I know from a lot of you that you get concerned because you go, I read in a news article that Pope Francis was on an airplane and he was on the way, you know, home from wherever on the airplane and he said X, Y, Z. And, you know, and I, and I know I'm being probably a little bit facetious here, mm-hmm. um, but it's like, you know, Pope Francis is against plastic straws because they'll kill the sea turtles. Mm-hmm. And if I become Catholic, do I have to believe every time that Pope Francis goes on about the plastic straws, am I sort of required as a Catholic to, to make that an article of faith? What say ye, Corey? Well, the short and simple answer is no. Um, you are not required. And I know I'm being kind of facetious. Yeah. But. Well, well, and, and the facetiousness I, I, I know is, yeah, relevant to the situation. But this, this would be just as relevant if it was however many years if ago, next, 30, 30 years ago, and this was John Paul II saying something say that for, you didn't agree with. So if you, it, for those of you who've ever watched HBO's series, The Young Pope, if the next pope is Pius Thirteenth and he's some uber conservative and he starts going on about, I don't know, whatever, mm-hmm. and it's super conservative stuff, right? I mean, I guess it comes down to what are, if the pope gasses on and gives opinions, mm-hmm. How how obligated are we to believe in that? So if this is a matter of prudential judgment, so this is taking the teachings of the church. So, I mean, let's go with plastic straws because that was the one you brought up. Based on dogma and doctrine, we know that God created the universe. God wants us to be good stewards of creation. We ought to treat creation with respect. And part of that is treating it in a way that doesn't harm our neighbor or harms the environment in a way that isn't helpful. I'm not articulating it terribly clearly, no, I get but it. like we, we know those things and those, no, those, those, thi- those things those, are, those things right. have like, uh, like when we go back to the last episode about knowledge, mm-hmm. those things are things that we can say, but then you, uh, then you make an implication from that. Therefore, I recommend that the government enact a policy of having only paper straws. Right. That right. is, I know we're being kind of a little bit silly here, but what that does is now traipsing into prudential judgments. Right. And so that is making proposals or reasoning to conclusions based on the data in a non-authoritative way. And that doesn't mean it's wrong. Like maybe the Pope is right. I, maybe. I don't actually know if the Pope has said plastic straws. I, be I know I'm being, but, I'm being intentionally. <laughs> but if, if Pope facetious. Francis did say that, maybe he's right. I'm not arguing he that be, he, he I'm not, not arguing be. that he isn't right, but I am arguing that you wouldn't be required to believe. But as a matter right. of conscience, right. I can listen to him. And I do want to say this because I, I told you before we started this recorder, I, I had seen a quote the other day from Aquinas, but I, I didn't save it. Mm-hmm. But Aquinas was talking about the respect and obedience that we owe the Pope. 
And for those of you who say, wow, you know, I don't like Pope Francis, or if the next Pope is super conservative, I don't like, you know, what his opinions mm-hmm. about, you know, this and that. You know, Aquinas says, look, he basically makes a distinction that I think a lot of us can understand, the distinction between the office and the man, mm-hmm. right? It's fair to say, Thomas Aquinas says, the, the man can be flawed. So we can go back in history and say, hey, during the Renaissance, the Borgia popes were mm-hmm. out of control or whatever. And you can say that there's a difference between the man and the man may make, as a man, mm-hmm. he may make judgments and have failures and have foibles and frailties. And, and he comes out of a context, you know, Pope Francis comes from South America and he has a different perspective than a Pope from another country or background or whatever, right? That's the man, but we owe respect to the office. And that's why I will never, have never, will never criticize in any public way on this podcast, on social media, and anything that I do, the Holy Father. I consider the Holy Father, well, I mean, he is the Holy Father. So in the same way that I owe respect to my earthly father, so you have the sons of Noah, mm-hmm. and after the flood and all that, Noah gets drunk and he's laying, I don't know, naked in a tent <laughs> drunk, which is kind of weird. But anyway, one of his sons kind of laughs at him and goes, look, dad, he's drunk, naked, you know, and then the other sons come in backwards and like lay a blanket over him or something, right? Because mm-hmm. they show respect of their father even when he... Uh, stumbles. Mm -hmm. And so uh, again, Thomas Aquinas says, we owe respect to the Holy Father. And and I should listen, you know, to the pious opinion of the Holy Father. But there's a huge difference between that and saying the things that I am dogmatically required to believe as a Catholic. Let me throw out an example for a different Pope earlier in history, just to, to kind of leave behind some of the baggage of current events sure, sure. that illustrates the fact that there's the Pope isn't always speaking on the same level of authority. Yeah. Um, and so um, Pius Twelfth, Pope in the middle of the century, he was Pope during World War II. He survived into the 50s. There are a lot of people who have very strenuous disagreements with the prudential judgments that Pius Twelfth made during the Second World War and about what he did and didn't do to try and negotiate or not negotiate with the Nazis or what he did or didn't do to protect the Jews in Italy. Like there's, there's Or whether or not he cooperated with the von Stauffenberg plot to assassinate Hitler mm-hmm. with Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Right. So there were like... Uh, just and if you think just war theory is bunk, then that would be bad. Right. Yeah. But what I'm just saying is it was a very complicated situation and, you know, there were Nazi panzer tanks in St. Peter's Square and the Pope had to make a lot of prudential judgments and he made a lot of calls mm-hmm. and some of his calls may have been right and some of his calls may have been wrong. Right. And so those are prudential judgments. That's kind of at the lowest level of the tr- the Pope speaking with authority. In 1950, Pope Pius Twelfth defined the dogma of the assumption of Our Lady into heaven. That is the absolute highest level of authority that a pope can speak with. It's what we call an ex-cathedra statement, which simply means he's speaking as the bishop from his chair, the cathedra, the bishop of Rome, who has the authority to dogmatically define something, saying that this is divinely revealed. So you're saying that the same pope who may have made prudential Mm -hmm. judgments, which calls that may have been right, may have been wrong in a very complex, fluid, hysterical situation, also 
was able to define dogmatic things. And by the way, for those who are listening who go, man, the Pope can just make stuff up ex cathedra, how many times in 2,000 years has the Pope spoken ex cathedra and defined something infallibly? Twice. Twice. And that doesn't mean that's the only time the Pope has has exercised infallibility. No, but two times in history the Pope has just sat in the chair of St. Peter and said, I just declared this. So for those people who are concerned, man, you know, if you become Catholic, you have to believe the Pope is just going to mix stuff up all the time. It doesn't happen all the time. Right. Because even in that ex-cathedra way of speaking, the Pope's role is to defend the dogma that has been given to the church. Yeah. I think we're going to have to have another episode where we talk about the role of the papacy in this, mm-hmm. because I personally am of the opinion that the Pope's infallible teaching magisterial role is largely defensive. Mm-hmm. And I think and, we have talked about that a bit. Yeah, in the past but I want to episode. explore that a yeah. little bit because I think it's largely defensive. In other words, I don't think that the role of the Pope is to make things up. Mm-hmm. I think it's to defend the apostles. Well, and that's not even faith. just what you think. I'm pretty sure that's, that's, that's Vatican that's One. That's just true. <laughs> yes, <Yeah. laughs> but I think we should explore that because yeah. I think people think, well, the Pope can just make things up. And I think there are, frankly, I think there are progressive Catholics who hope that Pope Francis will, to. Yeah. Who, who, who hope Pope Francis will just declare some stuff contrary, like, you know, to the last 2000 years. Can't do it. It's largely preserving and defending mm-hmm. uh, the faith. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Wow. This, well, this was, this is super fascinating. And I'm sure that there are people who are out there that like, we've only scratched the surface and maybe only prompted further questions, but the episode is getting a little bit long. Mm-hmm. So um, we're going to stop here. Please write us. Love your emails, and we a lot, you know, often just choose the topics of episodes based on your emails. So if there's questions you have, things you want us to talk about, or just feedbacks and comments, please send them to us. You can send them to me at greg at consideringcatholicism.com or just consideringcatholicism at gmail.com. Both of those will get to us. If you got things you want to send them on, I'll pass them on to Corey, pass them on to Ed, pass them on to anybody. But please give us feedback. And by the way, please support the podcast. We have no support from any church or diocese organization. We are a pretty much a, uh, uh, a pretty small operation here, and we could use your support because we have a lot of ambitions for expanding this ministry and doing um, more interesting things. So please, uh, you can go to uh, our website. You can uh, look in the podcast description, whether you're on Spotify or Apple Podcast or whatever, and just click there and it'll take you to a support page. So thank you very much. And thank you, Corey. The, it is now dark out here. It's pretty much pitch black. And yeah, I'm pretty sure that I, mean, I, I want to believe. I <laughs> what want is this, to believe. The files? I, want, I to believe. want to believe that Sasquatch is out here, but I, I just can't quite convince myself. And but the I, church does not require you to believe that. That's right. Okay. <laughs> Even if the Pope were to say that he thought it, he, Sasquatch was out <laughs> That's right. All right. Thanks a lot, Corey. Thank right, you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. My name is Greg Smith. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, would you please hit the like and subscribe buttons wherever you get your podcasts? And please share it with others. And if you're curious about the Catholic worldview and faith, the Church and its saints, or Catholic history, culture, and art, then visit consideringcatholicism.com. And email me to let me know what you think. Greg at consideringcatholicism.com dot com.